1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, Gideon still has his doubts, but little by little he's beginning to have faith in God's promises. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 6 verse 13. Once again, that's Judges chapter 6, verse 13.
2: Now, I've heard many critique Gideon as a fearful man because he's threshing in a wine press, but this isn't just some wheat he's cultivated privately. This is part of the crop, which means he went into enemy territory, snatched it, and now he's trying to harvest it before he's caught. That makes Gideon a brave man, something the Lord saw, even if Gideon didn't. And that's what the Lord says to him. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, the phrase mighty man of valor, it means an elite soldier or a brave hero. Lord is with you, brave hero. Lord is with you, you elite soldier. <laughs> Gideon, again, he's often portrayed as a cowardly man, but I think a more accurate assessment is that Gideon was a doubting man. Bravery, I don't think, was ever an issue for him because some of the things he does take crazy courage. But while bravery was not an issue, faith was. Look at his response in verse 13. And Gideon said to him, "'Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? Oh, and also this, where be all his miracles which our Father told us of, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt?' I don't see any. But now the Lord has forsaken us, and he has delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Gideon flat out disagrees with God's assessment. The Lord is with you. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. The phrase, oh my Lord, it means, excuse me, sir? The Lord is with you, that mighty man of valor. Excuse me? Now, he's polite. It's the polite way to address a superior when you want a dialogue. But there's no agreement at all in his answer. Now, it's interesting because this is an angel talking to Gideon, and this is one of the few times in Scripture that the appearance of an angel does not freak out the person they appear to. Now, in every one of those times when the person does not spaz out and is terrified, it's because the angel doesn't reveal their full splendor right away. It's likely that's the case here because it's mentioned later that he just looks like a traveler because he's got a staff he's walking around with, which is also likely why Gideon doubts the angel's message. He says to him, if the Lord be with us, if your claim is true that the Lord is with us, which I politely disagree with, and let me tell you why. Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles that I heard my dad and my grandpa tell me about how God delivered us out of the hand of the Egyptians? Now, here's the reality. The Lord's not with us. This is reality. The Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Now, whether he realizes it or not, Gideon is fulfilling God's prediction in Deuteronomy 31, verse 17, for when Israel goes away from the Lord. It says in verse 17 of Deuteronomy 31, Then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they shall say in that day, Are not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? Now, God doesn't say that he's not among them, but he says that's what they'll say. Exactly what Gideon said here. Now, if you read the rest of Deuteronomy 31, what comes after God tells Moses this, is he says, now because I know this is how they're going to respond, I need you to teach them a song. A song that will tell them what I will do when they sin and how I will forgive and restore them when they repent. So even Gideon's own words are designed to call to remembrance. His own feelings are designed to call to remembrance what God said. You see, Gideon is trying to eke out some kind of life here all on his own without the Lord. But he doesn't need to because he's right there, right in front of him. And he wants to rescue not just him, but also his countrymen. Verse 14. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this your might, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? Now, this tells us exactly who this angel of the Lord is, because it says, and the Lord said to him. The Lord looked upon him and said this to him. And then he said, have not I sent you? So this is no mere angel. This is Jesus in a pre-incarnate state, appearing as a man. We see that same thing happen. Remember when Two angels and the Lord walk up to talk to Abraham. Similar type of a situation where the glory is veiled and they look just like regular people. Hebrews tells us that there are times when we can entertain angels unawares because they hide their glory. And so the Lord hides his glory here. He's chatting up with Gideon here and Gideon just thinks he's some other person. But the Lord said, looked up upon him. The phrase look upon means to turn and be face to face. That's going to be important later on. He's not just talking to him now. Now the Lord turns towards him and makes face-to-face contact with him. He's looking right in his eyes. And he says to him, go, or literally, you must go in this your might. Literally, it means you must go in this strength that you already possess. And if you do that, you will save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you. What strength does Gideon possess? His ability to steal grain and thresh it without getting caught? I doubt that. This refers right back to what the Lord originally said to him. The Lord, the very first words, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And do you really need anything else to move forward successfully with what God calls you to do other than him being with you? Not at all. That's all you need. If God is with me, it doesn't matter how many are against me. He says, you will deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? (laughs) You know, it's almost like he said, where are all the miracles? And the Lord goes, well, I'm going to give you one right now. I'm calling you. (laughs) One of the things I probably hear the most as a pastor, the question I get asked the most. The first one is, you know, how do I know God's will for my life? But right up there, close to it is, Why don't we see miracles today like we see it in other parts of the Bible? You realize you're not the first person who's asked that question. Gideon asked it. He asked it. As far as he was concerned, he's looking back going, it's been like 150 years, 200 years. We haven't gone that long in history without seeing the miraculous. When you read about the Welsh revivals in the early 1900s, the Great Awakenings in the 1700s, I see people today. Where are all the miracles. You know, I don't know if the Bible's true. We see all these things happen in the Bible. We don't see them today. Maybe it's because we're a little bit more like the judges and a little bit less like Joshua. There's lots of reasons why. But we're not the only ones to ask that question. Where are all the miracles, Lord. He says, well, you asked where the miracles are, Gideon. Well, I've just given you one. I've picked you to lead my people to victory. And you know what? Anytime God picks a person to do something, it's going to take a miracle. <laughs> Anytime. Because none of us have the ability to fulfill God's call in our own strength. Now, since that's true, why is it then that we all tend to respond, or at least most that I know, tend to respond like Gideon does here? And he said unto him, Oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save of Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house." Again, the translation is, excuse me, sir? I don't think I heard you correctly. But in what way is that going to happen? You apparently don't know me very well, so let me lay it out for you. My family, it is poor in Manasseh. The word there, poor, it actually means the weakest or the lowest. We are not, I don't have high status. Nobody listens to us. And me? I'm the least in my father's house. The word there means the youngest, which would have made him the most insignificant. Remember David when the prophet Samuel comes to select the next king of Israel, to anoint the next king of Israel? And he comes and God tells him, go to the house of Jesse. It's one of his sons. And what does he ask for first? Bring me out the oldest one. They all go through. He goes through all the kids. And Samuel goes, it's none of them. Do you have any more kids? And what does Jesse say? He goes, yeah, but he's my youngest. You know, he's cute. He's, you know, he's punchy. He's got these red, ruddy face, you know. He's adorable, but he's the youngest. He's you know, what's that worth? He's out in the field with the sheep. Go get him. He's the guy. None of us are likely candidates, but he says that I'm just the youngest. I can't even lead my family, which even if I could, no one in my tribe, let alone my nation, would follow my lead. It's like Gideon says, "Lord, that would take a miracle." <laughs> To which I would say, well, didn't you ask for one of those miracles and where they've been? He's giving you one right now. This is why I say that Gideon had a faith problem, not a bravery problem. God had already told him how this would happen. I'll be with you. Thus, the Lord repeats it a third time. He said, the Lord will be with you. And then he said, you must go in this strength you already possess, which is me being with you. How how is this going to happen? The Lord, he goes, okay, I'll say it a third time. (laughs) And the Lord said unto him, verse 16, surely, I don't want to repeat, I have to repeat myself again. Surely I will be with you. And you shall smite the Midianites as one man. The word there surely means truly. It's a marker that strengthens a previous statement. I said it before, I'm emphasizing it now. Truly, I'll be with you, that's how. And you shall smite the Midianites, he says, as one man. In other words, as if it was just one person. Now, that's a a powerful statement when you consider what God will do in Israel's army later on. Remember, he's going to whittle Gideon's army down to 300. 300 against 135,000 sounds ludicrous, right? But 300 against one sounds easy. And so the Lord tells him here, this is going to be easy. It's going to be like 300 against one. You're going to defeat them like they're just one man. And see, that's how God viewed it, because he was with Gideon. The Midianites were outnumbered by Gideon's 300 because the Lord was with them. That's why we never look at the odds when it concerns obeying God or following God or stepping out in faith. We never look at the odds. Because when he is with me, whatever the odds appear to be, they are unequivocally in my favor. Now, by this point, Gideon starts to wonder if this is more than just a traveler, but he's not convinced. He still has serious faith issues, so he asked for proof. This will be one of many times that Gideon will ask for proof, verse 17. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in your sight, then show me a sign that, you, that you're talking with me. That's the Lord talking with me. Depart not from here, I pray, you, until I come unto you and bring forth my present, my offering, and set it before you. And then the Lord said to him, I will tarry until you come again. Interesting. He says, if you're really the Lord and you're really picking me, which I'm sure is not the case, then he says, show me a sign. Do a mighty act, a miracle to prove that it's really you, Lord, that's talking to me. And then he says, stay here. I'm going to go prepare an offering and bring it to you. Now, this is a dangerous area. That's why he's doing it in the wine press and he's, you know. He's not doing it the way they normally do it. You know, if this was just a traveler, then he wouldn't stick around waiting for Gideon to return. But the Lord says, I will wait for you to come again. Isn't the Lord gracious to us when we're hard-headed like this? There were thousands of other men that God could have picked in Israel. And honestly, when you look at Gideon, this one seems to be the least likely to work, (laughs) to actually answer the call. But God graciously meets Gideon at every question and at every test. Now, that is not a license to doubt God or detest God. But it is encouraging to know <laughs> that his patience toward us and his faithfulness to stick with us despite all of our nonsense. Isn't it encouraging? Isn't it comforting? You know, that's why we sing that song, Build My Life. Because we need to trust Choose to trust that this is what our God is like. And not trust our hearts who condemn us or the enemy who condemns us. You know, Gideon's gonna have an experience in a moment where he's gonna realize it is God, and he's gonna be terrified. And you know, that can happen to us sometimes when we realize what we've done and how we failed the Lord. And we can become so terrified that we stay away and we listen to the condemnation of our hearts, or we listen to the condemnation of the enemy. The Lord is gracious. Slow to anger. He's good. Merciful. Amen? Don't forget that. You know, no matter how far you've gone, it's always better to come home than to stay away. Well, verse 19. And Gideon went in and he made ready a kid and and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour. That is a lot of matzah. Um, this would be a meal that uh, well, I'll read on, and the flesh he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot uh, because he would take the goat and they'd make a stew out of it. Um, this is a meal a family would prepare for an honored guest. Um, Gideon is a man of character here and showing good hospitality, even if he's not convinced this is the Lord. But despite the long wait, the Lord is still waiting for Gideon when he returns. It says he put the broth in a pot and he brought it unto him under the oak and he presented it. He offered it to him. Verse 20. But the angel of the Lord of God said unto him, well, take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon the rock and then pour out the broth on top of the rock, which is what we would consider a waste of a good meal. But Gideon obeys and he he does so. Verse 21, the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and he touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And when he did, it says, there rose a fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Gone. Now, why does God have him pour it all out, set the stuff there, and then why does he consume it all? Well, because that's what happens in a burnt offering. When you would come and bring in a burnt offering to the Lord, you know, depending upon the type of offering you would bring, there was always a portion, though, that would go to the Lord. And it would go on the altar. No one would get to pick pieces from it. You didn't get to eat it when it was left over. It would be entirely consumed because it was the Lord's portion. And the idea, the symbolism was conveying is that you are fellowshipping with the Lord as you eat your portion and he eats his portion. All right? So there is no greater demonstration that God could have given here that he is the Lord than to receive it as the Lord received an offering. And so he tells them, pour it all out, man. We're not, I'm not going to eat it this way. I'm going to do it like I do it. And so he pours it all out there, puts the food on the rock, touches it with his staff, goes up in flames, and the Lord says, my job is done here. And he's gone. All of it is consumed on the altar of that rock there as God's portion. God accepts Gideon's offering, not eating, like, not eating it like a traveler would, but consuming it like the law commanded And at that moment, Gideon had to know this was the Lord. Now, could you imagine being Gideon, recalling everything you've just said to God after that? I imagine your reaction might be a little bit like his. Verse 22. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord. And what does he say? Face to face. Remember earlier where the Lord turned and looked him face to face? he goes, I'm a dead man. I'm a dead man. The word there, perceived, it means to consider, to think through with a careful process. He's remembering everything he said. He's remembering everything he's done. He's remembering his attitude. He's remembering his unbelief and doubt. And he cries out. It says, alas, it means a cry of alarm. Usually means, oh no. Oh no. Oh Lord God. That was Lord Jehovah. I am a dead man because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. Yes, indeed, is what that word for because means. Yes, indeed, I'm a dead man for I've seen an angel of God face to face. All those doubtful words and actions came rushing back to Gideon and he knew he deserved death. He knew it was over for him, which is why God has one more thing to say to him, although not in person. His voice just speaks and it's Verse 23. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto you. Fear not, you shall not die. Peace be unto you. Peace is the word shalom. It means a lot of things. It means your well-being, prosperity, safety, wholeness, salvation. In other words, when he says, Peace be unto you, he goes, Everything is okay. Everything is okay. I knew all about your faith issues, Gideon. I knew all about your grumpy complaints because of how things have been in Israel lately. And I knew how you'd talk to me long before I arrived. And I didn't just show up to kill you, Gideon. Fear not. You shall not die. And for the first time, Gideon took God at his word. For in verse 24, it says, And Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord, and he called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day, it is still an offra of the rites. Despite the threat of danger, because remember, he's been threshing in a wine press, he takes the time to build an altar to the Lord. And he calls the name of it, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, the God of peace, or the Lord is peace, or the Lord sends peace. It could be any of those. Now, this title for God, it's the only time we see it in Scripture, the Lord Sending peace and being our peace is all throughout Scripture. But this title for God shows that God reveals himself as one who offers shalom. Prosperity, safety, wholeness, wellness, well-being of the soul, salvation. You know? So while it is only used once in Scripture, because God reveals himself as one who offers us shalom, we find that concept all over the Bible. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Ephesians 2.14 states, He Himself is our peace. So it's not just that God offers peace to us, it's that He becomes peace to us. He is where we find safety, wholeness, salvation, and prosperity. Nowhere, no thing, and no one else. The context is that God becomes peace. All that people deserved to happen to them. Everything that people have deserved to happen to them. Israel earned this because of their stubbornness and unbelief. He becomes all of that shalom to them. That's what this means. Because that's what Gideon is thinking here. He's going, Oh no, that was Lord Jehovah, I'm going to die. And the Lord says, You're not going to die. Peace unto you. He calls it that because he knows what he deserves but he also believes that's not what God gave him, that God gave him something else instead. Gideon calls this altar by this name in light of God's mercy to him in spite of all of his antics. Have you come to the place where you've recognized what you deserve and how gracious God's been to you? Like Gideon, have you taken God as his word that he wants to be your shalom even though you don't deserve it? A lot of times we don't experience God's peace just because we're off doing our own thing and we're not trusting God. But then the Holy Spirit comes, who lives inside of us and he's convicting us and he's drawing us to the Lord. Come on back, come to the throne of grace to find forgiveness and mercy and grace to help in time of need. And then the enemy comes on side and goes, you can't go back. God's, I mean, you can't, how could you go back? And the Lord would have us to learn what Gideon learned. He can always go back. Because he's Jehovah Shalom. He's the one who is our Shalom. Amen? Lord, we are so grateful that you know what you're doing. (laughs) I wouldn't have picked Gideon, and I wouldn't have picked me. Lord, but you've done that for every one of us. You said, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. What a crazy thought, Lord, that you love us, but you want us. You want us to be a part of your family. You want to use us. That you have good plans for us, despite the fact that we, we don't deserve that. Thank you for being our shalom, Lord. Thank you for wanting to bless us, even after we've just blown it. Thank you for being our peace, even after we've had a Gideon attitude where we didn't trust you and We're kind of arrogantly throughout our own ideas, not realizing that you were right in front of us. Lord, help us to recognize that you're always with us, even when it seems like you're far away, even when we've gone far away, that we might always know that that option's available to draw near to you, no matter where we've been before. Thank you for being our peace, Lord. Help us to stay close, to not wander. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.